Welcome to a treasury of good things. My name is Cheer Helton, and I'm your host for this podcast. And today, for Monday's podcast, the very loose theme that we have today is um, service, serving others, serving others with with Christ-like intention, trying to imitate Christ, who has served us so well. The liturgy that we have y'all you need to sit down and just drink this in because I'm telling you I read it um before I started obviously and I was hot I mean I I was gonna highlight the, my favorite parts ended up highlighting the whole thing it's so good it's so um it so speaks to the thing inside us that so dislikes serving others because sometimes there's very little reward in it um and the need and we don't all have the same broken places in us but many of us and I could raise my hand so high on this that one of the things that is so broken in me is the need for others to approve of me the need for others to see what I'm doing and um, I mean a word of a word of encouragement goes so far with me a word of acceptance Um, people looking at me and giving me accolades for my efforts mean entirely too much to me so serving others can also often be very difficult when we feel like our efforts are going unnoticed, our kindness is being rejected. And then many times we can let that feel like a rejection um, full stop. And so if that is you at all in any capacity, please give a listen, a careful listen to today's liturgy. It will be like balm to your soul. Um, And then, of course, we've got our history. Um, Our hymn today is um, Take My Life and Let It Be. Oh, man. That, the words to that hymn could just bring you to tears as you try to serve the Lord faithfully. So that's just great. I mean, I just get chills even thinking about the lyrics of that. And then our psalm is Psalm 42. Um, And just this prayer of, Lord, everything in my life is telling me that I like, where are you? Why am I serving you? What, what, what is this journey that I'm on with you? But Lord, I know you've been faithful. And even though I don't feel that way right now, though I'm discouraged now, I know who you are. And it's like the practice of preaching to ourselves who God truly is and not letting the world inform us of who our God is, but knowing his faithfulness as in, as, and his endurance and his love and his, um, his justice and worthiness are true of him and we're not going to let the world inform us but sometimes it's really difficult to stand in that place and just be like lord i don't understand what's happening everybody is saying i should doubt you should i doubt you no it's at that time that we preach the gospel to ourselves and that psalm is just such a beautiful reminder that doesn't matter how i feel about god right now doesn't matter what the world tells me i should feel the lord is true his promises are true And though I don't feel that way right now, feelings do not determine reality. All right, so let's get into this, y'all. Like I said, take a seat for this liturgy. It is so good. All right, it is called A Liturgy Before Serving Others. O Christ, who made himself the servant of all, I would set my heart and my affection upon you and upon you alone. 
for I can only serve others rightly when such service is undertaken from first to last as an act of devotion offered to you. In serving you, I am freed from my need for the praise of others, so that even if my kindnesses are shed from scarred hearts as rain from a sloped tin roof, my joy will not be dimmed, for I will know that you have received and remembered each act of sacrifice and reckoned it as a love in rendered to you. So let my love be sincere, and let my service be fearless, O Lord. I would serve in imitation of you who poured out your life for me. I would serve knowing that your spirit is ever at work in the lives of those I serve, ever calling, ever drawing, ever seeking to soften the hearts encased in fear and disappointment and anger and idolatry. So let my kindnesses and sacrifice fall like warm shafts of sunlight on icy ground. I cannot know the end of another person's story. Our lives so often only briefly intersect. So let me be content to minister regardless of visible outcomes, trusting that the small mercies I extend will be woven into the larger theme of redemption at work in the lives of others as you woo them to yourself, drawing their hearts by graces offered, and shaping my own heart too in the process of learning to serve well, and by learning to serve well, learning to love well. Amen. Oh man, y'all, isn't that fantastic? I, I just absolutely love the lines that say, in serving you, I am freed from my need for the praise of others, so that even if my kindnesses are shed from scarred hearts as rain from a sloped tin roof. My joy will not be dimmed, for I know that you have received and remembered each act of sacrifice and reckoned it as a love rendered to you. I mean, I tell you what, I should have that tattooed on my forearm just so that I can remember that. Ah, oh, so good. We will forever be driven like a slave with a whip at our back if we're seeking for the approval of others. It will never be enough. Today's praise will be gone by tomorrow. And isn't it an interesting mystery that a person's disapproval of you will last forever, but a person's praise of you vanishes almost instantly. I mean, it seems as though our hearts will not believe the um, kindness is offered to us, and yet the unkind words and the ugliness that people um, throw our way seems to lodge and shape us so immediately. So why would we go after something that seems to have no... Why would we work so hard for something that vanishes like the mist. Yet we know that when we work for the Lord, He remembers. He sees it. I don't know. That's a thought I have to keep in the forefront of my mind because it matters all too much to me what other people think. And people's criticism of me matters far too much. And it always has. That's always been a problem. All right, let's move right along over to our Book of Martyrs, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and see what's going on with the Christians in the 8th persecution. The 8th and ninth persecutions will be our focus today. 
This persecution began in the fourth month of A.D. 257 and lasted for three and a half years. The number of martyrs and the degree of their tortures are as great as under any previous persecution. We cannot tell all their stories, so we've chosen a few that represent the many. Rufinia and Secunda, the beautiful and educated daughters of a prominent man in Rome, were engaged to two young men of some wealth, Armentarius and Venus. All four were per all four were professed Christians. When the persecutions began, however, and the young men realized they were in danger of losing their money, they renounced their faith and tried to persuade the young ladies to do the same. When they would not, the gentlemen informed against them and were arrested for being Christians and taken before the governor of Rome, Junius Donatus, and condemned and beheaded. The overseer of the church in Rome, Stephan, was also beheaded. About the same time, in Toulouse, which was part of Roman Gaul, Saturninus, the godly overseer of the church, refused to sacrifice to idols in their temple, and when ordered to do so, was taken to the top of the temple steps and tied by his feet to the tail of a wild bull. The beast was then driven down the steps, dragging Saturninus behind him. By the time the bottom step was reached, the pious man's head was split open, and he was dead. In Rome, Sixtus succeeded Stephen as an overseer of the church, but his time in office was short. In AD 258, the year after Stephen's martyrdom, Marcianus, governor of Rome, obtained an edict from Emperor Valerian authorizing him to kill all the clergy in Rome. Sixtus and six of his deacons were immediately put to death. Also in the church in Rome was a godly man named Lawrence, who was a minister of the, of the gospel and in charge of distributing the church's goods. Marcianus greedily demanded that Lawrence tell him where the church's riches were laid, thinking he could take them for himself. Lawrence requested three days in which to gather the riches together and present them to the governor. When the third day came, Marcianus demanded that Lawrence keep his promise, whereupon Lawrence stretched out his arms over some poor Christians that he had gathered in the place with him and said, These are the precious riches of the church. They are the treasure in which faith in Christ reigns and whom Christ has his dwelling place. What more precious jewel can the church have than those in whom Christ promised to dwell? Upon hearing this, Marcianus raged in the fury and madness of the devils and screamed out his anger. Light the fire! Do not spare the wood! This villain has tried to deceive the emperor! Away with him! Away with him! Whip him with scourges! Jerk him with hooks! Buffet him with fists! Brain him with clubs! Does the traitor joke with the emperor? Pinch him with fiery tongs! Wrap him in burning plates! Bring the strongest chains and the fire forks and the grated bed of iron! Put the bed on the fire, and when it's red hot, bind the traitor in hand, and foot and roast him, broil him, toss him, turn him, torment him every way you can, or you will be tormented yourselves. No sooner had he finished ranting than the tortures began. After many cruel torments, this meek slave of Christ was laid on his fiery bed. But in God's providence, it was as a bed of soft feathers, and the godly Lawrence laid there and perished as if taking a nourishing rest. In Africa... The full fury of persecution raged. Thousands were martyred for Christ. Again, we can only tell the stories of a few of them. In Utica, just northwest of Carthage, the provincial governor ordered 300 Christians to be placed around the rim of a burning lime kiln pit. A pail of coals and incense for worshipping idols were prepared, and the Christians were told that they would either sacrifice to the god Jupiter or be thrown into the pit. All refused, and then together jumped into the pit to suffocate and burn in the terrible fumes and flames. Not far from there, three Christian virgins, Maxima, Donatilla, and Secunda, were condemned for refusing to give up Christ, given gall and vinegar to drink, to perhaps lessen their pains, or an imitation of Jesus. 
They were then horribly scourged and their wounds rubbed with lime. After that, they were hung and tortured in the gallows, scorched on a gridiron, torn by wild animals, and finally decapitated. In Spain, Fructausus, the overseer of the church in Tarragona, and his two deacons, Agurius and Eulogius, were martyred in the flames. In Palestine, Alexander, Malchus, Priscus, and an unnamed woman were sentenced to be eaten by lions after publicly state stating that they were Christians. Their sentence was carried out immediately. In AD 260, Valerian's son, Galenius, succeeded him. During Galenius's reign, the church was freed from general persecution for several years. The ninth persecution under Aurelian, who is also known sometimes as Lucius Domitius Aurelianus. Historians know Aurelian as the Roman emperor who held the barbarians in check beyond the Rhine River and regained Britain, Gaul, Spain, Syria, and Egypt for the empire. Christians know him as just another barbarian and persecutor of the Church of Jesus Christ. The overseer of the church in Rome, Felix, was the first martyr during the Aurelian's reign. Felix was beheaded in AD 274. In a city about 30 miles from Rome, a wealthy young man named Agapetus sold all that he had and gave the money to the poor. As a result, he was arrested as a Christian, tortured, and beheaded. Aurelian was assassinated by his own officials and succeeded by Tacitus. Several other emperors followed. Propus, Carus, and his sons, Carnius and Numerian. During these reigns, the church was at peace. Oh, man. That is bleak. And tomorrow, when we talk about the 10th persecution under Diocletian, it is so long that I'll have to split that up into two days. So we won't finish the 10th persecution until Friday. But I think the thing that strikes me so much is um, the lack of fear. The lack of fear that the Christians had um, was really astounding. And I think that we're living in an age right now that is so full of fear, even though by all accounts, we have more access to information more access to an ease of life than we ever have, and yet fear seems to reign so supreme in so many lives. And I just look at those Christians, I look at Lawrence in particular, who was told by the emperor to gather the riches of the church and bring them to him. And without any fear, he gathered the Christians together, saying, what greater treasure do we have than the fact that Christ dwells within these brothers and sisters? No fear whatsoever. I mean, I cannot even, I would not even think of doing that. I probably would have been scrambling for every penny I could get together. But their vision was so different from ours. We t I talked about this many podcasts back, but their sense of the eternity and their sense of their own... Um, the, the smallness of this life compared to eternity seemed to be a fact that they had no doubt in and, the, and a fact that they based all of life on so beautiful. Their faith is so gorgeous. Now, our hymn today is Take My Life and Let It Be. There's such a desire in this song to please the Lord that, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, every time I read through this hymn and this text in particular, I just get chills because I really like the humility in this song, this desire to please God above pleasing ourselves. And I certainly struggle with that. I certainly struggle with the idea of giving over everything that belongs to me to the Lord, which is silly because everything that belongs to me already belongs to the Lord. I don't retain anything for myself. If I'm a Christian, that means I have given my life to the Lord. 
That doesn't mean that the Lord gets a little part of my life over here where I go to church and read my Bible, but the rest is up to me. I get to do everything else I want except, you know, I do God in this corner of my brain. Um, but I want the posture of this hymn to be the posture. I want this to be the tone of my whole life. And every time I read the, this text, I always think, Lord, please let me say this and mean this. Let this be the true, sincere desire of my heart. So that's enough of me rambling. Um, the text was written by Frances Havergale. Frances Havergale has been called a bright but short-lived candle in English hymnody. She was a talented singer and pianist and spent much of her brief life writing prose and poetry. In her own words, her primary goal was to be a personal spiritual benefit upon others. This commitment to others is obvious in the story of writing this particular poem, which she called a consecration hymn. She wrote, I went for a little visit of five days. There were ten persons in the house, some unconverted and long prayed for, some converted but not rejoicing Christians. He gave me the prayer, Lord, give me all in this house. And he just did. Before I left the house, everyone had got a blessing. The last night of my visit, I was too happy to sleep, and I passed most of the night in praise and renewal of my own consecration. And these little couplets formed themselves and chimed in my heart, one after another, till they finished with ever only all for thee. After writing the phrase in this hymn, Take my voice and let me sing only for my king, Havergill decided to give up her career as a concert soloist, and after writing Take My Silver and My Gold, she donated her large jewelry collection to mission causes. The tune was written by Henry Abraham Cesar Milan. Henry Milan, a believer in Jesus Christ from childhood, was a pastor and hymn writer. He's most remembered as an originator of the modern hymn movement in the French Reformed Church. He was once removed from ministry in the state church for preaching a sermon on salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, the same doctrine that launched the Protestant Reformation. The name Hendon, taken from a village in England, was assigned to this tune by Lowell Mason, the hymn's first publisher. And this is the text of this beautiful hymn. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee, swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages for thee, filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose, every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine, it will be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my God I pour it at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee, ever only all for thee. Don't you want to be able to say that and mean it? I think that those are some of the most beautiful words. And I, I hope that as I become more and more mature in the Lord, that I can say to the Lord, take my will and make it thine. 
and mean it without any reservation. That I could say to the Lord, here's my heart, it is thy throne. And you know, here's the thing is that when, and I, I know this to be a true, I've seen this in my own life, that when we stop trying to withhold ourselves from God and let him actually use us for his glory, we find that we are of greater use to people than we ever were on our own. It's like all the striving that we waste our time with, um, trying to get other people to approve of us, trying to get other people, trying to win other people's affections. It's like when we finally put all that aside and just live in obedience to the Lord, we find that we are finally the, the person we wanted to be all along. So on to our psalm. Our psalm is Psalm 42, like I said at the beginning of the podcast. And I love this psalm. And I love this psalm because there is a question in it. And the question the psalmist is asking himself, why are you so downcast? You know who God is. It doesn't matter. Even though everybody else is questioning, who is God? Who is this person? Who is this being that you're wasting your time and worship for? The psalmist is tempted to fall prey to that question. The, temp- the psalmist is tempted to believe that question. His soul is downcast. He's dejected. But he knows that those feelings aren't the truth. That those feelings are not reality. And so he's having to preach to himself. He's having to remind himself, you know better than to believe what your heart is telling you. Our heart is such a fickle thing. You know, if we spent our life following our heart, we'd find ourselves on the road to hell. And I don't mean that in a silly way, although I mean I mean that very seriously. There's so much in the world that tells us that we have within ourselves all that we that we need to guide us towards a higher version of ourselves. And yet if we spent half our time listening to what our feelings tell us, I mean, we would find ourselves in a world of pain because we can't trust our feelings. So this psalm is at war with, the psalmist is at war with his own feelings. He's tempted to give in to, to the lie that God is not there for him. But his, his mind knows better. So here is the psalm today. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan of Hermon, from the Mount of Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands a steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to God of my life. I say to God, 
my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I think that those line, that line right here, it says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession of the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. It's like, we must rem remind ourselves when we're downcast of those times in which we, were, we did find joy in the Lord, in which our, we found the joy of our salvation, and remind ourselves of who God really is, and not fall into the pit of believing that these people who question us, who question our God, that they have anything to say to us, that they have that they have any kind of wisdom. But I love those lines because we have to do that. We have to remind ourselves of the truth. We have to remind ourselves of the times in which we were joyful in the Lord. I hope that the readings today gave you something to think about. I um, I wanted today, since it's Monday, I, I was hoping that the reading um, of the hymn, liturgy, psalm, and even the history, that they would all spur you on this week, on this Monday, to run the race that's been set before you, to boldly claim your heritage in Christ. You are the child of the King of the universe, of God Almighty. You wear the crown on your head. You can walk boldly through your day with your shoulders high and your head raised because you are a child of the King. Let's, lay, let, let's give our lives to the Lord. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Let's not believe these lies. Where is your God? Let's go boldly knowing that we are the jewels of the church. Knowing that we are the most treasured possession of the Lord. That he would send his son for us. That we can meet all the trials and all the temptations and all the ugliness of this world with joy. And not a false joy, not a pretend joy, not a put on foolishness. Because the world does not need another fake. No, we can walk with our heads high and with joy in our hearts and with a genuine smile on our heart and a genuine smile on our face and true joy because we know that whatever we experience on, on uh, in life here is just a blip. It's, it's no longer than the period at the end of a sentence. You know, I was talking to somebody today and this is my last thing I'll say before I pray, pray for us. They were saying that they had listened, been listening to a lot of Joel Olstein podcasts or sermons or something like that and that he always said the same thing that, you know, all the sermons were the same and they all said that, you know, your blessing is coming. And I said to them, I said, you know, the real problem with Joel Olstein isn't that his sermons are boring because he says the same thing. The problem is, is that he's saying to you that your blessing is coming. Coming. It's come. He always says, you, you know, 
the favor of the Lord is about to, to, to shine on you. What exactly was Christ Jesus then, if that wasn't God's favor shining on us? It's come. If we're, you, you know, this, this foolish teaching that if you love God enough, if you're faithful enough, that you will suddenly find yourself overwhelmed with blessing is such a falseness because we have been overwhelmed with blessing. We have been saved from eternal torment and we have hope here in, in this life because we know that this isn't it. This is nothing. All the terrible pain, disappointment and crushing depression and sorrow that we face here on earth, we can endure. Not because there is something good that's about to happen here in life just around the corner but because we know that when we die we face an eternity with our heavenly father and what greater favor could God have shown on us than to send us his son and if we spend the rest of our life trying to eke out some sort of pleasure here on earth some kind of success here on earth we will find ourselves constantly disappointed and you know if you look at the life of Christ, was he a success here on earth? I mean, if you judged his life by the, our standards of success, here he was, raised in a nowhere village in Nazareth, raised to be a carpenter. He worked his whole life to become a carpenter. Then he didn't, he wasn't a carpenter when he reached a, uh, his age. He went around to preach to people who rejected him. His own village rejected him. He only had 12 followers and he was murdered at the age of 33 by a group of people who condemned him for sins he had not committed. If you look at the life of Christ and you judged his life by the way we judge success, you'd say he'd had a miserable time of it here and hadn't accomplished much. But because we know the true scope and the eternal consequence of what he had done, we know he was a success. We've got to get out of this idea that there's a certain way in which we can live life and then we can um we've got to get out of this idea that life has to look a certain way or we haven't been successful we don't even know what success is if we had looked at christ we would have said he, and hadn't known what he was doing we'd say well it's too bad he wasted his life we don't know what success is if we're not plugged into the lord so friends as we go about this week serving others we go about living in a world that does not respect the same things we respect. As we go about living in a world that does not understand us. Know that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us so dearly. Let's find out His definition of success. And not worry so much about pleasing others. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Father, I thank you that we have only to please you. That we can go about our day doing everything as a sacrifice to you and we don't have to worry if other people see us and we don't have to worry if we don't have to feel discouraged when our kindnesses are rejected we don't have to believe that that's a rejection of us and that we somehow aren't worthy all such lies lord from the devil and he's so good at confusing us lord help us to see you more than we see him sometimes it feels as though satan is so much louder than you his voice seems to cut through so much clearer than yours lord and i just pray that we would develop ears that hear your voice father i pray that we would develop a love for you that wants to so sincerely lay down everything at your feet that we wouldn't want to hold you at arm's length 
Father, I confess that I often want to hold you at arm's length so I can do all manner of things that sound interesting and pleasing to me. But Father, please shape my desire so that I want the same things you do. Father, I love you so much and I thank you for this day and I thank you for this week, Father, and I just pray that we would go about it living each day as you designed us to live it. Help us to love those around you and help us to be the life and light that you created us to be. Father, I thank you for your love and I pray that I would be able to show that love to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.